0: Alright, good afternoon everybody. Uh, This is the Divorce Insight Podcast brought to you by the Johnson Marquez Legal Group. Today the topic is military divorce. And because we're talking about military divorce, we brought in our Colorado Springs associate, Jay Cranmer, who deals with it much more than anybody else at the firm.
1: Good afternoon.
0: And I am Zach Chapman. Um, And so yeah. Let's just kind of dive right into the military divorce. Is it? I mean, is a military divorce nuts and bolts? At you know, from in initial view, any different than a regular divorce?
1: No, nuts and bolts. It's the same process that we would go through on any divorce case. Essentially, the process is the same as we would start the case with a petition for dissolution of marriage, and go through the process in trying to. Number one, identify the assets and debts of the parties and moving on to try to negotiate a settlement and ultimately, if unable to do so, going to court and having a judge make the decisions as to property division, parenting time, etc.
0: Okay. Well, what about starting the case initially? Um, if... What happens if someone's deployed? Can someone be called to court if they're deployed or overseas?
1: Um, Well, ultimately, a petition for dissolution of marriage can be filed if someone is deployed or overseas. However, the service member has the ability to essentially put the case on hold um, until such time as his deployment has ended um, or he's returned to the United States. So certainly the case can be put on hold. Oftentimes we do see cases in which people are overseas where they still elect to move forward with the divorce um, on a long-distance basis rather than wait um, six months, nine months, a year until they're able to be present for the divorce.
0: Now, what about if someone isn't necessarily deployed overseas, but maybe on assignment or um, you know stationed somewhere else within the continental United States still?
1: Well, ultimately, at that point, we would go through with the divorce case just like we would normally essentially just because somebody's out of state doesn't necessarily mean that we can't go forward with a divorce. Just because they're out of state may make it a little bit more difficult for us to serve them paperwork, but once the case is started, it's exactly the same as a normal case.
0: Now, if someone's looking to start a case and they don't know necessarily where to start it, let's say that they live here Uh, The party wants to file lives here. There's some kids that live here. Um, Or maybe there's even no kids, and the other person is stationed in, let's say, Florida. Can the person file here, or do they have to file in Florida?
1: Um, Well, generally speaking, as with any case, we have to have um, jurisdiction over the parties, and the parties would need to be residents of Colorado to be able to move forward with a divorce. However, only one party needs to be a resident of Colorado, so generally speaking... Um, someone would need to have lived in Colorado for roughly three months, um, or children would have needed to live in Colorado for six months to move forward with a divorce or a custody case involving not only the military, but all cases in general. Okay.
0: So we've started the case, we're into it, and now we let's, let's talk about some common questions. Is there... A common theme that you see from either a consultation on military divorce or handling of a military divorce?
1: Well, ultimately, one of the issues that always comes up in any military divorce, um, when there's children involved anyway, um, is parenting time um, regarding the military. Um, people who are in the military certainly are very familiar with the idea that they're going to be relocating generally anywhere from every two to four years. Um, and having a new duty station on a pretty regular basis. Now, this is obviously something that's not very um, conducive to parenting time, uh, moving around on a regular basis. And if one of the parties, um, for instance, the mother decides she wants to remain in Colorado here well the father is relocated around the country or around the world, we're going to need to figure out a parenting time schedule that works for both the parents as well as the children. Ultimately that tends to be very much related to education. As one would imagine, the courts are certainly concerned with the children's education and so oftentimes when parents live long distances apart. We see parenting time that's generally over holidays like Christmas, Thanksgiving, um, school breaks like spring break, and summer vacation. So it's very common to see a long distance parenting plan where one of the parties has the children um, for most of the school year and the other parent has a lot of parenting time over those holidays and a significant portion of the summer vacation.
0: Okay. Now do you think based on you know, potential moving around, deployment, um, stationing elsewhere. Do you think that a military divorce has maybe more modifications of parenting time than uh, your average one in the middle divorce case for parenting or allocation of parental responsibilities?
1: Well, it certainly has the potential to. Um, obviously, if people are living in the same uh, vicinity, it's not as often that things need to change. However, um, certainly things can change if people are moving around on a regular basis. Obviously, the closer people are, the more common it is to have more parenting time. The further people away are, just on an economic basis, uh, makes that ver- or makes that much more difficult. So, um, as people move around, it can certainly change. But like any case that needs to be modified, um, it can be modified on a pretty regular basis and is often modified as children get older and their needs change. Okay. Now...
0: One question that I get asked quite a bit, um, and I'm sure you probably get it too. What about, um, let's say it's a post-decree issue, and someone has remarried, and let's say it's a person who's in the military has remarried, and they're getting deployed, but their their spouse, step parent, is around. Um, can that parent as easily substitute parenting to the step parent easily substitute parenting time for the parent, or does that change things as well?
1: Well. That's certainly a very common issue, especially when you have um, new spouses. Um, However, the law on this is very clear. When someone is deployed um, or essentially not able to exercise their parenting time, they can essentially assign their parenting time to another party, generally a spouse as far as that's concerned. And so ultimately, if, for instance, uh, a spouse is going on um, maneuvers, or even going and being deployed overseas, and that parent's supposed to have parenting time. Let's say for the summer, um, that parent can still do parenting time through a step parent um, or you know new spouse. During that time, essentially, so that that parent and that step parent can continue the relationship with the child, even though the party's out of state, out of sea, or overseas, um, or simply unavailable. All right, all right.
0: Now, I know one of the common questions I get all the time when I'm dealing with a military divorce case, whether it's down here or one of the ones from up in the Denver metro area, is. Um, my BAS, BAH doesn't count. Um, and I guess maybe could you go into a little bit of the you know, specific questions that you might get on that, explain what BAS, BAH is, and uh, kind of elaborate on how that applies here.
1: Okay. Well, most people in the military are certainly familiar with BAS and BAH. They're basically allowances for um, housing as well as other supplies, um, and they're generally part of military paychecks. Now, ultimately, these are things that absolutely are part of any calculations of income for purposes of determining child support or determining um, maintenance or alimony. So ultimately, when we're looking at BAS and BAH, um, they do count towards any sort of child support. Um, Now, this is something that does need to be tracked rather closely because Oftentimes after the divorce, uh, BAH will reduce um, and certainly may reduce depending on who is the primary parent for children. Um, so those are things that can certainly be a part of this. Um, BAH is also something that can be provided to a spouse um, in the event that a divorce has started and the parties have separated. Um, parties can contact uh their military spouse's um, command and potentially have some of that BAH directly directly to them as part of the way that BAH is calculated is the number of dependents who are there. So those are certainly some issues with those housing allowances and certainly is something that is very common and part of really any case when we're dealing with child support um, or maintenance. Now,
0: is BASBH that you, you talked about how it's very likely uh, to change when um, someone goes through uh, a divorce? Now, is that something that you deal with on the front end, or is that something that's going to be dealt with on a, a post-decree issue?
1: Uh, that's certainly something that happens primarily um, after the cases are completed. Once a divorce has been finalized, the paperwork is going to go in part to um, DFAS um, so that it is provided to uh, the military, and they're able to make their calculations on how many dependents people have, and therefore being able to recalculate um, you know, the housing allowances as well. Okay.
0: Okay. Now... One thing that I know is very specific to military divorces, and I see it quite a bit when it comes up, um, is the enforcement, I guess, of, of court orders, um, or even financial issues, and potentially even, um, maybe payments of things that aren't even officially a court order yet, um, and that's specifically because of the, the way the military is, um, Now, is that something that you see a lot in cases, or is that something that maybe I'm just seeing, or how does that work?
1: Well, um, I think what you're talking about is, you know, prior to a divorce getting started, if people have separated, um, whether or not some of the income needs to go to the spouses or not. Um, Ultimately, this is not something that the military necessarily gets involved with. Um, There wouldn't be any notification necessarily if Um, you know, parties have separated and are no longer living together. However, um, once the military has been notified that people are no longer living together, those housing allowances essentially need to be split to some extent as far as everything goes. And so, like I said previously, um, normally speaking, what I see and what I generally advise clients to do is to contact their spouse's Command structure and to let them know that there has been a um, separation, and the military will go through the process of providing the BAH or BAS to that spouse. That's not something that is part of state law or part of a divorce, technically, but it is part of the way the military regulations are set up.
0: Okay, so now. And, and I would agree with that. That's Like I said, that's kind of the things that commonly I hear. Or if you represent the person in the military, the kind of commentary of, well, they keep threatening to call my supervisor, they keep calling my supervisor, every little thing I do. Um, now, what potentially could be the impact um, on a person in the military that's probably a little more relevant to them than it is the, you know, the average, the, the citizen, if you will, um, they're civilians, um, you know. If someone misses a support payment or someone misses a child support payment, could that affect their military career?
1: Um, it technically could as far as things go. Um, by and large, um, the, the military um, will try to keep their noses out of that most of the time. However, in the event people are getting behind on debts or getting behind on child support, by and large, the way that that tends to come up in regards to military issues is in relation to security clearances, and those security clearances can certainly be harmed to some extent as um, people have higher debt. And most people who are familiar with security clearances are certainly aware that um, you know having more debt, or having bankruptcies, or having further um, liabilities against you are things that the FBI as well as the military looks at as far as determining people's security clearances on a regular basis. Okay. Okay. Well, and I think lastly,
0: one of the big issues that we need to talk about because we hear it all the time, and it's, cause it's, a, it's a vanishing thing it seems like in our society anymore, but uh, military pension or retirement. Um, what's unique about a military pension maybe from a 401k or someone's other pension they might have?
1: Well, ultimately the unique part is is that it's a lifetime pension, um, and essentially it's calculated after somebody has been in the military generally for more than 20 years. Um, once again, those are things that are pretty common for people in the military to be pretty familiar with. Um, ultimately, the things that come up as part of divorce cases really are related to how those pensions get split up, and ultimately um, they're split up in proportion to the time that people are married in relation to the amount of time someone has been in the military. The examples I tend to give with this are pretty simple. If somebody's been in the military for 20 years and they were married for those 20 years, then the other spouse is going to receive half of the pension once it is being received by the military member. However, if the parties were only married for 10 years, out of the 20 years, then the spouse is only entitled to half of the pension that was accrued during the time that they were married. So under those circumstances, there would be essentially 25%. Essentially, you would take half of the pension for the 10 years and then split that in half for the portion that is related to the military retirement that's entitled to the spouse. And ultimately, that's something that is very common. Um, There are formulas that um, we use as well as um, DFAS uses in trying to um, calculate those things and by and large what ends up happening is, is that the support orders end up going to the military. The military ends up doing its calculation and then depending on how the relationship has gone or the duration of the relationship really um, either the military member will have to pay the, the spouse that money or DFAS will pay that spouse directly. Okay. Now,
0: is that 20 years you are talking about and, and, and the overlap, is that capped at 20 years? Or let's say someone was in the military for 40 years and had a very long career, but we're only married for actually 20 of those. Do they still count as the 20 out of 20, or are we still talking half half the amount of time and therefore a quarter of the pension?
1: It, it's the whole time that someone's in the military. It's not capped at 20 um, so, essentially, the longer somebody's in the military, the less of a percentage potentially the other spouse might have. So, no, there is no issue with the longer term part of that. Okay. Now, what
0: about the military benefits? Is that something that can be passed on and/or divided as part of a case?
1: Um, not really. Um, there are some limitations where TRICARE can be um, provided to the military spouse. Um, generally, those are considered what are called 20 20 spouses, and those are essentially parties who have been married for 20 years, during 20 years in the military, um, and in that event, that spouse would be entitled to TRICARE essentially for life. After that, there's what's called a 20 20 spouse, which essentially would be that the spouse has been in the military for more than 20 years. Um, But the marriage was only for 15 to 20 of that. In that event, the person is entitled to TRICARE for one year from the date of the decree of marriage. Otherwise, any other spouse would essentially lose their benefits upon decree of marriage. Um, other than that, um, those are really the only two places where people would be able to continue to keep their health insurance.
0: And just for clarification purposes, when you say decree of marriage, do you mean the date the divorce decree is granted?
1: Yes, I apologize. Okay.
0: Now, I guess the last question I would have is, along with the retirement lines, is what about someone's, uh, maybe a youngster, I guess, in the military or not quite there at the 20 years? Um, how does a spouse potentially still claim any sort of overlap they may be entitled to at that point?
1: Well, ultimately, the spouse is not um, entitled to any military retirement until the military member starts getting the retirement. So it's certainly very common that we deal with divorces while somebody is still in the military. There's obviously the expectation that someone may be in the military for long enough to receive a pension. The way things end up getting set up is the calculation is essentially what Is agreed upon, how the calculation would be done. Upon the service member's retirement, the numbers of, you know, how many months someone was in the military versus how many months somebody was married would be put into that calculation and the percentage of the pension would then be determined and split accordingly.
0: What about if the military pension is, is too difficult, or maybe you know, they don't do that calculation. Um, is there any other way that you can, you know, put a you know, put a bookmark or something of that, or reserve jurisdiction or anything like that until maybe the pension does become you know, vested or maybe even received?
1: Well, ultimately, that's pretty common in any case um, that the court will keep jurisdiction over the maintenance until such time as. Like you said, it vests or somebody starts receiving it. Um, But the way these things are calculated is something that is very common. It's something that's very well known to the courts as well as to the military members and obviously to DFAS. So going through this is something that is very common and even though what the amount may be may be very uncertain right now, um, it becomes much more certain once somebody has retired. Now, in the event somebody retires, but they have not received the pension, the party who is not in the military would not receive anything. So just because the military member decides to retire before a pension is awarded um, doesn't mean that the other party would get anything at that point in time. Yeah. All right. Well... I think that about covers all the bases. I have. Do you have anything
0: else that a uh, military divorce topic that viewers might want to hear?
1: Uh, no. Um, I would say that if you have questions regarding that, please feel free to give us a call at Johnson Marquez. We're happy to answer your questions anytime.
0: All right. Well, on behalf of Jay Cranmer and the rest of the Johnson Marquez Group, I uh, wish everybody a thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time. Thanks. Bye bye.
1: Thank you for listening to this week's Divorce Insight podcast. To get a copy of our free ebook, An Introduction to Divorce, click on the link below in the show's notes. Please contact our office for a free consultation. We're available to help you with any issue related to family law and divorce. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you stop by again soon. As a final note, please be advised that the information in this podcast is for general informational purposes only. Nothing in this podcast may be taken as legal advice for any individual case or situation please retain a lawyer for legal advice. This information is not intended to create and receipt of or listening to this podcast does not constitute an attorney-client relationship.